Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. For our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about President Biden's energy goals. That's coming up later in the program. But first, your environmental headlines. To build an idea of what possibilities may come, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce Foundation and numerous utility and corporate partners collaborated to sponsor a wide-ranging study called Powering Indiana's Economic Future. The research behind the report was conducted by London Economics International, which specializes in energy and infrastructure analysis. Their findings contained a look at where we are now and five key scenarios for how Indiana's electricity future might play out. According to the study, Indiana's average electricity rates are growing more rapidly than the national average, 2.9% increase per year from 2010 to 2019. Also, reliability is lower than national norms. Researchers said some of the reasons behind this growth and low reliability are flattening demand, replacing and maintaining aging infrastructure, and necessary investments to comply with federal environmental regulations. Significant shifts are happening in generation. Electricity generated by coal decreased from 93% in 2009 to 59% in 2019. The study finds that an additional 7.7 gigawatts of coal is expected to be retired by 2028. Growth is projected to continue in the areas of natural gas, solar, and wind generation. Most of the five scenarios include some role for coal. Only one of the possible plans could be in compliance with Biden's proposal of zero carbon emissions by 2050. A bill that could significantly reduce protections for Indiana's wetlands was signed by Governor Holcomb. The Indiana Environmental Council hoped the governor would veto the bill because it will make most of Indiana's state-protected wetlands vulnerable to development. Quote, the bill in the form that it is in before the government would have the implications of wiping away protections for wetlands for as much as 600,000 acres, end quote, said Jesse Carbonda, executive director of the council. The bill, SB 389, was amended several times during the legislative process and ultimately left what are called Class I and Class II wetlands largely unprotected. They typically have the fewest protected animals. Nevertheless, Carbonda said those wetlands are no less important. Quote, they help to reduce flooding because they are incredible sponges of water. An acre of land can hold no less than one million gallons of water, end quote, he said. Carbonda said that 
could save people who live in cities money on water storage, adding that he believes that had wetlands upstream from South Bend, Elkhart, and Goshen been preserved, those cities might have saved millions in building tunnels and tanks for storage. Wetlands are important for purifying pollutants that might be in the air. Those wetlands can be excellent at absorbing pollutants before they go into our waterways. Carbonda said that Indiana has lost 85% of its wetlands since the early 1800s, and the state preserved much less of its nature than other states. He said Indiana has set aside 4%, while Wisconsin sets aside 18%, and Michigan 28% for preservation. Over 100 Indiana organizations, including major environmental ones, are vowing to continue the fight to preserve the state's wetlands after Governor Holcomb signed a bill, SEA 389, rolling back wetland protections throughout the state. In a joint news release, the groups said they, quote, believe that SEA 389 represents one of the greatest setbacks in the history of Indiana conservation policy because it places hundreds of thousands of acres of wetlands in jeopardy, end quote. Wetlands limit flooding, recharge and purify groundwater, and preserve wildlife habitat. Loss of wetlands causes property damage, increases taxpayer-funded infrastructure repairs, and hurts the state's recreation industry. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management estimates that Indiana has lost 85% of its original wetlands. Of those wetlands remaining, an estimated 80 to 90% were protected by the state, and half of them will lose those protections under SEA 389. The bill creates a wetlands task force that the groups plan to work with to help mitigate the new policy. The South Bend Tribune reports the company Unifrax plans to spend $13 million and add 20 jobs to start a new manufacturing line at its plant near New Carlisle, where the company will pilot a new technology for use in lithium-ion batteries for electric vehicles and for other industries. The expansion would allow Unifrax to make silicon fiber anodes, which, according to the company, will be used to manufacture lithium-ion batteries with greater energy density, faster charging time, and a longer lifespan. According to St. Joseph County documents, Unifrax has asked the county council to grant incentives that could save the company about $775,000 in taxes on the increased value the project would generate, mostly from new manufacturing equipment. The county council is set to consider the tax abatement request for the first time soon, with final approval possible by June. Unifrax's local plant is within the boundaries of the Indiana Enterprise Center, an area where county officials hope to bring large-scale industrial development on thousands of acres of farmland just east of New Carlisle. Janet McCabe, director of the Indiana University Environmental Resilience Institute and a professor of practice at the IU Robert H. McKinney School of Law at IUPUI, has been confirmed by the U.S. Senate as Deputy Administrator of the EPA. McCabe is President Biden's pick to serve in the number two position at the agency, where she'll join an administration that has pledged aggressive action on tackling the climate crisis. 
McCabe previously served as acting assistant administration of the Office of Air and Radiation at the EPA under the Obama administration for three and a half years and as principal deputy in that office for four years. She has also been air director at the Indiana Department of Environmental Management and has held other environmental policy and management positions at IDEM and in Massachusetts. McCabe said of her new job, quote, I'm honored to be returning to the EPA as deputy administrator and grateful to have had the opportunity to be part of the Resilience Institute these last four years. In my new role, I'll take with me the valuable lessons I've learned building a broad bipartisan coalition to protect Indiana's economy and Hoosiers' health from the risks of environmental change. Just like in Indiana, these issues are critical to the long-term prosperity of the nation, end quote. Indiana should consider what Illinois is doing with its coal ash ponds. They are setting new rules for their cleanup. Environmentalists are cheering rules that Illinois regulators have adopted to govern toxic byproducts from burning coal. The Associated Press reports the Illinois Pollution Control Board last week approved guidelines for detecting and cleaning up harmful coal ash contamination from groundwater. The action creates rules for cleaning up contamination, but also improves the ability of taxpayers to participate in permitting and remediation decisions, according to a statement from Earth Justice, one of five major environmental groups to participate in creating the rules. They filed more than 200 pages of technical recommendations. Coal ash ponds are federally regulated landfills, but release of the ash around both active and closed coal plants in Illinois has contaminated groundwater with arsenic, boron, sulfate, and other chemicals. A 2018 report by the Environmental Integrity Project, Earth Justice, Prairie Rivers Network, and the Sierra Club found widespread pollution in groundwater around 22 of the state's 24 sites. Quote, these robust coal ash rules ensure that those that have borne the brunt of environmental injustice in Illinois will have a voice in the future cleanup of these sites and the protection of their communities, end quote, said Andrew Rain of Prairie Rivers Network. The neurotoxic pesticide chlorpyrifos, trade name Lorsban, causes brain damage in children, including IQ loss, learning problems, ADHD, and autism, and for years there have been growing calls for the EPA to ban it. However, the agency has repeatedly postponed taking action. Now, after 14 years of legal battles, a federal court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, has ordered the EPA to issue a final regulation on the pesticide within 60 days. Whereas the court didn't order the EPA to immediately ban the pesticide, Judge Jed S. Rakoff did say, quote, The EPA's obligation is clear. It must modify or revoke chlorpyrifos tolerances and modify or cancel chlorpyrifos registrations, end quote, making it clear that the EPA must take drastic action soon. The pesticide is one of the most common and hazardous ones used in U.S. agriculture. In 2017, over 5 million pounds of chlorpyrifos, an organophosphate pesticide, and the most widely used of them, were sprayed on crops. 
Residue of the pesticide on food and drift near fields where it was applied has wreaked havoc on children. The EPA was close to banning chlorpyrifos in 2016, but the Trump administration intervened the next year. Dow Chemical Company, now called Corvita, the main manufacturer of chlorpyrifos, fought back, making a $1 million donation to President Trump's inaugural fund. CNBC reports that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin recently described the climate crisis as one of the nation's existential threats with the potential to profoundly destabilize global security. Quote, from coast to coast and across the world, the climate crisis has caused substantial damage and put people in danger, making it more difficult for us to carry out our mission of defending the United States and our allies, end quote. Austin said in an address at a summit with world leaders focused on climate change, quote, as the Arctic melts, competition for resources and influence in the region increases. Closer to the equator, rising temperatures and more frequent and intense extreme weather events in Africa and Central America threaten millions with drought, hunger, and displacement, end quote, the Pentagon chief added. The New York Times reported that the Senate voted on March 28th to effectively reinstate an Obama-era regulation designed to clamp down on emissions of methane, a powerful climate-warming pollutant that will have to be controlled to meet President Biden's ambitious climate change promises. Taking a page from congressional Republicans, who in 2017 made liberal use of a once-obscure law to roll back Obama-era regulations, Democrats invoked the law to turn back a Trump methane rule enacted late last summer. That rule had eliminated Obama-era controls on leaks of methane, which seeps from oil and gas wells. Inequality and environmental injustice meet in the nation's county jails. People living in eight of the 11 jails in the three largest county jail systems, New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, are in the 90th percentile or higher for cancer risk related to pollution, including diesel pollution and respiratory hazards. Nine of the jails sit closer to toxic wastewater than at least 97% of the country, and all 11 are in the 90th percentile or higher in terms of their proximity to hazardous waste sites. County jails are deliberately sited in environmentally dangerous areas. Rikers Island, New York's largest jail sits on a former waste dump, and its prisoners live closer to hazardous waste than 97% of Americans. Chicago's Cook County Jail, in the middle of the Latinx community of Little Village, has more diesel pollution than just about anywhere else in the nation. Jails are becoming a focus of the environmental justice movement. According to Grist, quote, this is because environmental justice advocates focus on so-called frontline communities, places that shoulder a disproportionate burden of a society's waste, contamination, and pollution, end quote. David Pello, director of the Global Environmental Justice Project at the University of California, Santa Barbara, asserts that people incarcerated in county jails form frontline communities. The Guardian reports that Californians are bracing for another year of severe, destructive fires. The governor approved a half a billion dollar emergency funding plan to prepare for the looming wildfire season. 
The state, which saw its worst fire season on record last year, is descending deep into a drought that portends even more megablazes this year. But experts say that while the huge spending plan is a start, it isn't nearly enough to avert the crisis ahead. Quote, we are in a very deep hole that we're going to have to dig ourselves out of, end quote, said Chris Field, climate scientist at Stanford University. Global heating has brought more frequent extreme droughts and heat waves to California, drying out the landscape and fueling larger, more destructive fires in recent years. Last year, the state saw five of the six largest fires in state history after a lack of rain and a heat wave dried out fire-fueling vegetation across the region's wild lands. This year is tied for the third driest year in state history, and the desiccated landscape is primed to burn. Quote, we're definitely looking at a serious challenge ahead, end quote, Fields said. White-nose syndrome has killed over 90% of northern long-eared little brown and tricolored bat populations in fewer than 10 years, according to a new study published in Conservation Biology. Researchers also noted declines in Indiana bat and big brown bat populations. The findings, detailed in The Scope and Severity of White-Nose Syndrome on Hibernating Bats in America, underscores the devastating impact of the deadly fungal disease. The research tapped into the most comprehensive data set on North American bat populations to date, which includes data from over 200 locations in 27 states and two Canadian provinces. A new report promoting urgent climate action in Australia has stirred debate for the claim that global temperatures will rise past 1.5 degrees Celsius in the next decade. Australia's Climate Council released the report on April 15th. The Council is an independent organization of climate scientists and experts on health, renewable energy, and policy who work to inform the Australian public on the climate crisis but their latest claim is causing controversy. Quote, Multiple lines of evidence show that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial level is now out of reach due to past inaction, end quote. Dr. Kevin Trenberth of the National Center for Atmospheric Research and Professor Christopher Field of the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment wrote in the foreword, quote, The science is telling us that global average temperature rise will likely exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius during the 2030s, end quote. This report is consistent with several others that detail the consequences of our inaction. And now for our feature, we will have IER reporter Enrique Sanz talk about the Biden energy goals. On Earth Day, President Joe Biden set the U.S. on a course, at least on paper, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 50% by the year 2030. Here's part of what he said at the Leaders' Summit on Climate, where dozens of world leaders discussed climate change and what actions could be taken to fight it. I talk to the experts and I see the potential for a more prosperous and equitable future. The signs are unmistakable. The science is undeniable. And the cost of inaction is keeps mounting. The United States isn't waiting. We are resolving to take action. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half, in half by the end of this decade. 
But will the U.S. be able to tear itself away from fossil fuels? Only time will tell, and the clock is ticking. By some estimates, the world only has about a decade before the damage done by climate change is irreversible. Here in Indiana, climate change has already struck. Over the last century, the average annual temperature in Indiana has risen by 1.2 degrees Fahrenheit, and the average annual precipitation has increased by 5.6 inches. The changes have affected everything from agriculture to tourism, and it could get worse unless greenhouse gases are reined in. According to Gina McCarthy, the administration's national climate advisor, the pledge is a formal submission to the United Nations known as a nationally determined contribution. The NDC announces that the U.S. will reduce net economy-wide greenhouse gas emissions by 50 to 52 percent below 2005 levels by 2030. To get here, we went sector by sector, electricity, transportation, building, industry, and lands and oceans. And we looked at the wealth of already existing cost-effective clean technologies and products that are ready for deployment and innovation trends that we see in the marketplace that will allow us to win the clean energy future and the opportunities we now have to create good paying union jobs, improve public health, keep our communities safe, and advance environmental justice. We met with and listened to cities and states, businesses, workers, scientists, economists, young people, parents, grandparents like me, who were actually around during the first Earth Day and hope to be around for quite a few more. Uh, the output of the, the bottom-up analysis and robust engagement is this, and that is that we see multiple pathways across all sectors, across all policy levers, across federal and state and local actions to grow our economy and to reduce our emissions. According to the EPA, the transportation sector is the largest source of greenhouse gases in the U.S., followed by electricity generation and the industrial sector. The White House said the U.S. plans to tackle transportation emissions by reducing tailpipe emissions and boosting the efficiency of cars and trucks, spurring research and funding for low-carbon fuels and investing in transportation infrastructure. The greenhouse gas reduction plans for industrial processes is to support carbon capture and new sources of hydrogen and reduce non-CO2 gases like methane, hydrofluorocarbons, and other pollutants. Carbon capture technologies exist, but are not yet financially viable. A carbon capture and sequestration project is in the works in Vigo County, where a company called Wabash Valley Resources has acquired funding for a CCS at its ammonia fertilizer and hydrogen production facility. It still has not submitted its application for a Class 6 well necessary for the sequestration part of the project. Critics of that and other carbon capture projects say the technology could actually extend the life of fossil fuels, a major source of greenhouse gases. The Biden administration has also faced many questions about what will happen to the workers that depend on fossil fuel jobs. The Department of Energy recently announced $109.5 million in funding for projects that directly support job creation in communities impacted by changes in the energy economy. And billions more could be on the way. According to ENE News, an interagency White House task force identified $38 billion in existing federal resources to help the hardest hit areas affected by a shift away from fossil fuels. Biden says these changes are critically necessary. We have to move. We have to move quickly to meet these challenges. Steps our countries take between now and Glasgow will set the world up for success. 
to protect livelihoods around the world and keep global warming at a maximum of 1.5 degrees Celsius. We must get on the path now in order to do that. If we do, we'll breathe easier, literally and figuratively. We'll create good jobs here at home for millions of Americans and lay a strong foundation for growth for the future. For EcoReport, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. The Central Indiana Wilderness Club is hosting a beginner backpacking trip into the Hoosier National Forest on Friday, May 7th and Saturday, May 8th. You will be backpacking near Story, Indiana. Dinner and breakfast will be provided. Bring your own lunch, snacks, and water bottle. To register, go to cicwinfo.gmail.com. Spring Mill State Park is hosting a Cave River Valley hike on Saturday, May 8th from 10 a.m. to noon. If you haven't seen the property that Spring Mill manages in Washington County, then this is the hike for you. Meet Tony at the Donaldson Cave parking lot and follow his car to the Cave River Valley. This is a very primitive and rugged hike. Bring waterproof shoes and bug spray. Enjoy Mother's Day with a wildflower hike at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, May 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Meet naturalist Emily at the Lakeview Activity Center for a one-mile hike around the lake to learn more about the spring wildflowers. The hike is partially rugged. You must socially distance. Take a hike at Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Saturday, May 15th from 1 to 4 p.m. Meet Travis Dunn, the district forester, at the Visitor Center. You will hike and learn about Indiana's native trees while enjoying nature. You will also have an opportunity to see and take photos of a stand of bald cypress trees. Social distancing is required. Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area will be having a survival skills workshop on Sunday, May 16th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meet Bill Sperlin of Sullivan County Master Naturalists at the Visitor Center to learn safety tips for outdoor recreational activities and basic survival skills. Topics will include exposure to elements, water purification, fire starting, essential gear, and much more. Social distancing and face masks are required. You must register at survival skills low hyphen goosepondfwa.eventbrite.com. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. 
and this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.